Welcome, everybody, back to episode 35 of Take the Hill. Angelo, great to have you here, man. Patrick, glad to be here. I just saw you recently. We had the honor of being at the hooding ceremony and commencement ceremony for undergraduates at Point Park University. I think it was just last week. You look good there, as always. Likewise, I mean, it's always exciting to see you uh, as part of that ceremony and leading the way. The important job of getting everybody where they need to go is always <laughs> tough. <laughs> Grabbing the cards from the students and handing it to the speaker. You know, it it is a tough job. Somebody's got to do it. The toughest part is when the student walks up to you and in the moment they're like, can you please make sure the speaker says my name this way? And yeah. I'm trying to listen to what they're saying and regurgitate it to the speaker. Um but it's always, always an honor to be part of that. Um, and, you know, for the Point Park graduates listening right now, congratulations to all of you. Best of luck in the future. Uh, and we love you. Um, amazing stuff for sure. Yeah. I mean, like you said, we, it's interesting because I mean, we're a smaller university. And like you said, we really get to know our students from the day that they arrive through the the journey of, of reaching that, that moment in their academic journey. Uh, so it's exciting to see their enthusiasm, their family's enthusiasm. And I'll tell you what's really cool. I was talking to one family who had another uh, family member graduate last year. And, you know, I won't bring up the university, but they said the ceremony was a little bit more traditional, right? And kind of just, eh, <laughs> right? And I love our graduation because, you know, though we do have the the traditional elements in there, there's such a vibe. And it's exciting and it's a big celebration. And yeah. you know, whether that's parents screaming or kids dancing and just cheering each other on, I love that element. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm still vibing from it. And uh, we get to do it all over again as we head into the fall 2023 semester and, and get the next uh, round of seniors ready to go and do big things in the world. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely an honor. So you talk about big things. Mr. Steve Adokoff is back on the show today. Yeah, this man is, uh, again, if you have not uh, watched an episode with Steve, go back to episode number nine, episode 25. Uh, you'll get a little bit more of his background, but just so intelligent. So, I mean, he's so connected globally through his work. Um, he just brings such a unique depth of perspective uh, to everything that we talk about. Yeah, I, I've come to learn now that this is his third time on the show, that there's really no use in trying to... Um, do some research and to try to understand the topics that we're going to head into because they are so multi-layered and so dynamic um, that you just got to kind of go into it with Steve and and the way that he explains things and brings it down to a digestible level into um, an applicable, you know, almost how it can affect an everyday life, something that's so global and so big, but how it can like really kind of impact um on an individual level it's it's just something you got to buckle up for it and 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 hope that your listening skills are um sharp the day that you talk to to steve oh that's totally true and like you said we may look common and collective and intelligent but there are many hours that go into preparation for even just beginning to understand i think the to get through the doorway with conversation sometimes, but you're right. He, he does such a phenomenal job of being able to take these complex ideas and theories of what's happening and really describes them in a way that it makes sense to, to us as individuals, regardless of if you understand geopolitical, you know, context or, or economic theory. Um, it's just fascinating. I love it's such a skill set. I think, you know, yeah. So. And, and these topics that he always talks about are extremely 
like relevant and current, but a lot of times are rooted in a lot of historical things, or at least you can look back to it. And it's a lot of like forecasting and a lot of unknown. Um, and, and so the intrigue with, with Steve Adelkoff is always at a high level for sure. So before we welcome into the studio uh, this morning, uh, big plans for the summer. What do you got? Big plans for the summer. You know, um, I recently, this is a new space behind me. So I re recently purchased a home and I'm still getting situated in that home. Um, so a lot of the summer is just going to be trying to make it feel, you know, the house feel like a home. Um, but I'll definitely get, uh, you know, I'll be on a beach at some point. Um, uh, uh, family place that we always go to, Ocean City, Maryland. So, you know, I'll probably, uh, you know, check out some things there. Um, but other than that, recharge the batteries a little bit. Uh, live in the moment. I feel like uh, this last academic year has been fast and rapid and uh, lots of highs and lows. And so just looking forward to some balance in the summer and and rocking and rolling come the fall. What about you, Patrick? Yeah, likewise, the the recharging piece. Uh, this academic year, even the one before, like you said, it's uh, it, it drained me, honestly. Uh, but again, I'm super excited uh, for all of our students who just persevered amazingly. Uh, same thing with our faculty and our staff and our team, including yourself uh, and all that we do as a university. So yeah, escape a little bit, recharge, spend a lot of good time with the kids. You know, they, they always have events. We'll definitely probably be at the beach, a lot of kayaking, a little bit of flying, all kinds of stuff just to get out and like I said, enjoy the enjoy the little bit of time we have off uh, or afforded between you know, now and the fall semester. So looking forward to it, no doubt. And then podcast wise, you can expect uh, we have a couple special episodes planned uh, for this summer. I'm not going to reveal everything just yet, but you're definitely going to want to stay tuned. Uh, and as Angelo, Dennis, and I jump into, we'll say, a few adventures, uh, we're going to take the podcast on the road this this summer and, and see what kind of craziness we can dig out, no doubt. So you want to stay tuned for some of those, some of those forthcoming events. So, and I'll leave it at that. Absolutely. Good stuff. All right. Well, we are going to jump into the studio here and welcome Steve Adokoff back to the show. So let's get after it. Hey, welcome back, Steve. It is a pleasure to have you here today again with us to talk a little bit about what's going on in the global economy. How have you been, sir? I've been well, Patrick. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Good to see Angelo. Always a pleasure. It's always too long since I get to see you. I know. I know. We always say that, and we're going to do a better job of making sure that uh, the time between your visits gets a little bit smaller. Love <laughs> that. Forward. So for those of you who have not had the chance to get to meet Steve, uh, definitely check out uh, episode number nine. And episode 25, right, we do you know, another exploration of a bunch of different topics. Uh, and so, like I said, before you watch this one, hit pause, head back, check out those two episodes, and then join us again today as we continue our conversations around sanctions, the global economy, and flow of capital in this, this crazy world that we're kind of experiencing right now. So, Steve, we're just going to jump right into it. Right. Let, let me give two quick disclaimers. Sure. Can I do that? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Two. Uh, so, um, uh, and you're and you're right. As we've gone over my history right now. Um, one of the things I um uh, I do. One of my credentials is broker dealer license. I series twenty four seven sixty three held with Finalis Securities. Great, great people. 
This has nothing to do with them. We're not talking about anything, no financial advice, none of that. No deals, no nothing, no specific. Same thing, I, I'm, I am now the chief risk and legal officer for Fairwinds International Bank. It's um, uh, as much fun as humans could possibly have. Uh, um, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an international financial enterprise in Puerto Rico. Uh, clients primarily European. Uh, uh, it's a it's it's sort of a private wealth bank, a custodial bank. It's some of the most interesting stuff I've ever done with um, people who I just love. They're just wonderful, like my family. This has nothing to do with that as well. Although there's a lot of, you know, and 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 all of the things that I do, they all have some kind of interrelation. But this is this is me being me, doing my 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 favorite hobby as 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 a as a professor. Prof Professor and academic doing that not just at Point Park, at Rutgers as well with the um, uh, in 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 the political science department, the UNMA Global Studies program, which is just just terrific. That's my disclaimer. Fantastic, and I love it. And that disclaimer illuminates how honored we are to have you when you have the time to join our show, because uh, again, your understanding of not only markets but risk, but just how interconnected and how the this kind of changing dynamic world that we live in impacts each of these areas as well as us here in the united in the united states uh so it's always fun from a educator's perspective to take these incredibly complex ideas and topics and, and scenarios and break them down so that we all can understand them so are you ready there, i'm ready i'm ready all right hopefully let's let's start at the kind of the strategic level Right. So right now we're seeing a confluence of events kind of creating what you've described as a multipolar world. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about at a high level, maybe some of the major players and perhaps kind of maybe a little bit of the backstory that if you can has kind of gotten us to this point so that our audience can kind of begin to maybe put the, the major players on the map, so to speak. Oh, sure. So let, let, let's look at history here. Uh, uh, for for all of our lives, um, uh, the 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 three of us, uh, we've functionally lived in 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 what's been characterized as a unipolar world. So, sort of in the eighties, once the former Soviet Union um, uh, sort of collapsed, morphed into um, uh, Russia and various other states. Uh, uh, and China had not ascended to the second um, largest economy in the world and, and what it is today, really since, call it the, the, the late 80s, early 90s, it's been a unipolar world with the United States leading the way, uh, leading the way um, with the strongest military, leading the way with the world's currency, you know, reserve currency, um, leading the way in just so many, and of course, the world's largest economy, um, it, used, it used to be uh, uh, by, by far. When, and when we last talked, I'm not sure we had reason to believe that the world would be um, less unipolar, less dominant by, by the United States. But it seems like um, uh, what is occurring out there is that as the United States flexes its muscle, 
um, uh, looks at the flashpoints around the world and says, geez, he, geez, Louise, here are our values that we'd like you to adopt. Um, and, and, and by the way, if you go off the rails and, um, uh, uh, and, and, and we think you're a rogue in some way, we will in some way punish you. And the, the uh, most interesting modern punishment these days is, is, is sanctions. So let's put the, the, the current sanctions just to the side for a second. Sanctions as um, uh, a weapon, um, uh, it's a pretty new thing. It's, it really hasn't been around for all that, that, that long. Uh, I mean, Cuba, I think, is the one you can point to as the first one, you know, way back when. And uh, uh, let's, let's, we're, we're going to put the issue of whether it's it's um, uh, effective or not. Let's put that to the side. Most recently, before Russia, we had Venezuela. And um, uh, Maduro is the, the president there. Um, uh, widely regarded as not a, a, a nice guy. We sanctioned um, uh, Venezuela and Maduro um, um, with, 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 with harsh, harsh sanctions. Their oil industry uh, 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 has been in tatters. The infrastructure in Venezuela is in, in, in tatters, as I understand it. I know in, in my life, I'm fortunate to know a number of um, Venezuelans who migrated out of Venezuela, they live in, in Panama, they live in, in the United States, they live in Puerto Rico, they live in other other places. Um, uh, lawyers, um, other professionals in particular. Um, no one likes this guy, Maduro. It's been going on for decades. I think if you talk to uh, uh, the law enforcement, particularly uh, I, I, one of my favorite meetings, in, and I, I think I might have mentioned this in one of our prior discussions, was with uh, a guy named Doug Leff, who was the head of the FBI in San Juan. And um, look, it was very clear that uh, 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 Venezuela violating sanctions, um, controls on um, what happens as a result of those sanctions and the squeeze of that flowing through Puerto Rico to Miami, if it wasn't his biggest concern and what he spent the most time on, it was certainly way up there. Very serious, very difficult, very difficult issues. We look at it today and what we see, though, is that Maduro is still in power. It's been at least 10 years since these sanctions have taken hold. He, he hasn't left. Although the oil industry is in tatters, what you are hearing from um, sovereigns in South America and Central America is maybe that Maduro guy is not such a bad guy after all. Maybe what we need is to sort of be nicer to him. Let's have some investment in the oil industry down there. Let's get some more oil on the world market because you've got problems in Eastern Europe with the oil flowing from there, or at least we would, you know, we 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 want to think that. And 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 um, uh, uh, Secretary of State Blinken and, and the administration has said to their credit, look, until democracy is flourishing in Venezuela, 
we're not going to be likely to uh, ease up on, on our sanctions. It's a crazy confluence of things that uh, it's hard to tell where the hell this is going to go. So here, here's what I think I, I hear a lot, especially from our students or anybody just kind of talking about the these global power plays. When you're in this multipolar world, you know, I, th I think you, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, know, you have groups of nations that develop enough influence that enables them to essentially implement the strategies that they have, perhaps. How then, as one of those nations, you know, do you develop kind of those strategic plans, right? Because, because let's just make it really simple, the United States and Russia, right? And they kind of each have their teams, so to speak, right? Because you have the United States and it's there's other groups of nations that kind of fall into their camp. And then you have you know, Russia and a couple of you know, nations kind of fall into their camp. From a strategic, political, geographical, economic, strategic level, how do you, how do you make decisions? I mean, is it rooted in history? Is it purely mitigation of risk? Is it like what's guiding your decision process when you begin to move a nation or an economic policy or a or a, a government philosophy forward? Perhaps. Well, I'm 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 not sure I know, Patrick. I'm not sure I can I can answer that. I could tell you this though. Uh, taking Russia as the one to explore that topic and Russia and what's going on now, wrong thing to do because we're in quite new territory with Russia. I know we want to discuss that later, but um, I, I think fundamentally, if you were to ask uh, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen, um, how do you approach this issue? How do you uh, how, how do you develop sanctions? Um, uh, that are going to be effective. I think what she would say is, first, let's look at who we're targeting and how we can have the proper pressure points uh, uh, for that economy that we're focusing on that squeezes it, that makes it miserable for people to to to, to live with. And I, I, I honestly don't know when they're in the room and they're saying, hmm, let's do this sanction, but don't do that one, that one, whether they think about things like like prospect theory, which we've discussed before. And you, you, you know, I roll that into pretty much every class there is this concept of um, uh, an asymmetry between losses, which hurt significantly more than gains feel good and 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 what that means for risk and uh, when you're in a loss position, you're more likely to take risk. When you're in a gain position, you're like to lock that in. If I was at that table, I'd be hoping that we'd all be thinking about that because that will influence what their next steps are. But I've got to tell you, it's so new. And Patrick, what I worry about the most is um, uh, uh, geopolitical hubris where we say to ourselves, Let, yeah, we know what we're doing. Um, our values are our values. Uh, uh, 
no one would say we want to impose our values, but we want to encourage our values everywhere in the world. And we're correct. We're in the right and sort of tone deaf to what's going on on the other side. I don't think sanctions work. I, I, I think now we, we, we now have some history to look at sanctions and ask, um, do they work? Are they working? Wholly aside from what happens when you sanction the seventh largest economy in the world, which Russia was at one time. And, and I want us to talk about this nature of anti-fragile systems that um, uh, uh, I see as a, as a big risk to how we think about how we think about sanctions. Um, uh, it's quite, I, I don't know if they work, they're, they're, I don't know if they're working or not. And I don't know when they sit around the table, they, they let's pick this one and not that one. And I think we're making it up as we go along too, in many ways. Um, uh, and I, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I think, um, uh, that's just what happens with such a new thing where you, the, 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 the. Our, our our history just isn't great enough to know which you know what the right decision always is. Well, there's no roadmap. There's no roadmap, right? So, I mean, like you said, it's it's balanced between history, understanding what has happened, and quantitative, qualitatively, and your gut as to you know what may work moving forward. So you get into maybe some of the variables that really are are being illuminated right now, inflation, supply chains, right? And then just the, the economic instability that seems to be present globally. Yeah. Yeah. How, how are those things impacting these conversations now? You think as, as they're sitting around the table? So it's a fantastic question. And you may recall when I last visited you, it was, I think, during the pandemic or maybe right after. And we talked about um, uh, how thinking around supply chains is now very, very different than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, the length of supply chains was was endless was mild you know stretched to the other side of the world right we had a lot of manufacturing um, um other ways to other other pieces of the supply chain in the far east not just china but then china ultimately got um, almost too expensive for that part of the supply chain it moves south vietnam other places in um, um in southeast asia uh then the pandemic happens and um, we learn that the supply chains are not very sturdy. And um, uh, uh, that's problematic. Add on to that inflation, which, um, so what, what, what's going on? We are seeing the supply chains shortening. So in the US, we're seeing supply chain CEOs are making the decision, bring it back here. That's actually, um, uh, uh, interesting. I mean, when you, when you, when you sort of think about, um, uh, you know, real estate and the needs of real estate going forward, you think about our relationship as a country with our neighbors to the South, not just Mexico, but even further South Central, more Central America, South America, um, those supply chain shortenings should help, should be, um, uh, make those bonds even tighter, but make the bonds and the ties around the world, halfway around the world, 
much looser. So that's that a, not to cut you out there, but that was an interesting point that you made. If you're, again, if you're shortening those supply chains, right? And like you said, they're, they're closer to your shore, be it wherever you're at in your world. What is that? What is the impact on the go, global economy in terms of just relationships? Because if everybody's shortening those supply chains, aren't isn't that kind of just a pendulum swing back, not towards complete policies of isolation, but but it ha, but it has to impact it in some way because now not that those global connections are are being diminished. I would think if you're if you're a free trade kind of guy, if you're a Ricardian yeah. uh, uh, at at heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see slower growth, more expensive supply chains. Um, there was a reason why it was it was great to go to um, uh, Vietnam to set up some a, a, a manufacturing facility. The economics made a lot of sense. More expensive as you bring it over here. That's just the redundancies are more expensive. And add on to that this inflation issue. <clears throat> And yes, uh, uh, absolutely. But first, on that on, on on that great question and narrow issue of international trade, I I, I agree. We're going to see less growth um, uh, globally. Um, that's going to come from the cutting of these redundancies, the being a little somewhat less efficient because of it, and also inflation is going to take a big bite out of it. And as that happens, you get this interesting dynamic of lower tax revenues at the end of the day on a global basis. And by the way, probably more ferocious fighting for those scarce tax revenues. But that also tends, if you believe Rogoff and Reinhardt, which is no reason not to, to increase um, government debt, sovereign debt. Uh, and that is to say, if the tax revenues aren't coming in, and you still have to spend a lot, and interest rates rise to fight inflation, and we're paying more for our sovereign debt in the first instance, less revenues in, more money going out. That's not a great sign. We're going to have far more tension on sovereigns, particularly those who are um, in more developing nations who have less leeway to pay their sovereign debts. That's a. I I think that that's a big theme over the next decade or so. Slower world growth, more redundancy in our supply chains, uh, a different world order as we look at this multipolar universe, uh, uh, and we we could very well see a rash sovereign um, uh, stress, sovereign debt stress, whether it's defaults or or um, renegotiations, and China has played an interesting role in that as of late. Uh, and and re remember, as, as, you, as you compare that with the multipolar world, and I don't want to get too ahead of us, China wants to take, seems to want to take the opportunity to rise in prominence geopolitically, um, economically, uh, part of what that means and part of what China has done is invest a ton of money, a ton of money in infrastructure around the world, in Africa, in um, uh, South America. Um, I, 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 
I'll, I'll give you an example. Boy, I'll tell you, Patrick, once you get me started, I just, you can't. It's great. I love it. I love it. So I'll admit, I don't understand all of it to the depth that you do. But I mean, like you said, systemically looking at the major pieces and components and variables, it's, we could stay here all day. <laughs> it's, I was doing a deal in Panama years ago and um, uh, we were talking to a Chinese construction company um, about partnering in some way. It was hard to get it done, but these guys, the point, these guys had just come from Caracas, Venezuela, and it was before the sanctions uh, in Venezuela, almost positive before the sanctions, but a time when, you know, you had to be nuts to invest in Venezuela. You knew bad things were coming. And they put, you know, a lot of money into some manufacturing facility. It was Chinese money went in. It was whatever the structure, I don't even know what the structure was. I'm sure there was a combination of debt and and, and equity. And it's perfect example of them just going, you know, jumping in with both feet, construction company um owned, I don't know if it was majority or totally owned by the by 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 the um Chinese government. Lots of money in with the expectation that that construction contract was all theirs. And uh, I don't think there was a happy ending with that with that project for them. I, I, I don't know. But a clear example, and that's just one small one in tough places around the world. And when all of those sovereigns, if if there's defaults, if there's workouts, and we've heard some of this, I think it was last month where... Um, and I forget the country that was negotiating within the IMF for uh, 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 for relief from its debt. And China initially said, no, someone else has got to take a haircut before we do. And the IMF stepped up and said, that's not how we play nice in international monetary you know, worlds when we're loaning to a government. We all take haircuts when we have to. Finally, I think China relented to that. But we're going to hear that discussion a lot going forward. And that's a talk about a side of a multipolar world. So, Steve, I got a question for you, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around a lot of this. Uh, I feel like I should be paying you money for educating Patrick and I and our audience right now. Uh, but, you know, as we were talking about uh, sanctions, which I find to be really intriguing, and then we shifted slightly into supply chains, uh, rebuilding to be shorter, more redundant. I'm trying to understand if there's some sort of symbiotic nature to those two. Like, do we lose leverage um, with sanctions if we're shortening that supply chain? Like, if we're not um, in business with some of these larger countries and, and entities, how do we sanction them then if we're shrinking these supply chains? Is there any kind of connection there? Uh, Angela, I think there's a mammoth connection. I, it's 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 a slow deterioration. It doesn't happen like that um, until you get to a certain tipping point, and then it happens very quick. It's like going bankrupt. You can you you, you can take years and years and years of just slow sort of deterioration. Then all this. Uh, as we have this problem with redundancy, um, and we think about the entire world, if we pull our economic might from places in the world. You're absolutely right. The sanctions have um, uh, uh, have less bite. And 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 look, let 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 let's focus on a specific example right now. Um, 
this is a very serious one. Uh, well, they're all serious. A year or so ago, maybe a little longer, one of the sanctioning moves from the United States and the European Union was to um, demand that um, Russian banks and the movement of Russian currency be removed from the SWIFT system, which is basically the global system to, to move money. So no one can, you can't move Russian rubles through SWIFT. You can't get money to sanction Russian banks through SWIFT. You can't do anything through SWIFT and Russia. Okay. So you would think that would be sort of the death now, and that would really have squeezed Putin, and Putin would have, you know, much like your beloved dog rolled over on, on his or her belly and said, I give up. No. What's happened, and this is sort of this concept of an anti-fragile system, is that slowly um, other systems to move money are developing. China is developing its own form of SWIFT. And it'll take a while for that to happen. But the fact is, Russia's not using the SWIFT that the vast majority of global um, transactions go through. But the number of transactions globally going through SWIFT is starting to decrease. We're not seeing it go from 100% down to 50 but you're seeing little ticks slowly but surely. And as time goes on, what you're describing, Angelo, is exactly what's going to happen. It's an interconnected world, and it's very hard to see how um, uh, all of the consequences, uh, uh, all of the, out, the, the entire range of outcomes when we take actions as we take. It's great. Uh, the, the, the whole topic right now, uh, and, and, and just sort of picture it like this, if you, if you visualize it with China, second largest economy, um, uh, Xi Jinping really wanting to show global dominance that it is a, a, a world power, um, that it's ready to be on the world stage politically, economically, all of the above, humani with humanitarian, you know, negotiations of detente and ceasefire, and that 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 kind of that 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 kind of thing. They're creating this system. The system now is helping Russia. We could try to sanction China, but that's just going to continue the what's going on. Now let's let's think about India for a second. Um, and I, I, I think India offers us the example of sort of the, 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 the belly of this problem that, that, that is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, India says to itself, uh, I paraphrase, uh, let's go buy oil from Russia, not violating the cap. We're not going to pay any, a penny more over the cap. Because we, we, we think the world of Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen can do it at the cap. We're going to refine that crude, make it of higher value because supplies are lower on the market. We're going to sell it back to the EU at much higher prices, right? And we've got plenty of refining capacity and we're making a boatload of money. And that's functionally the news that has been going on in, in the world doing their best not to violate sanctions. I'm, 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 I'm from everything that's been reported and that's seen. And, uh, but nonetheless, buying Russian oil, 
Um, there was a, a news article. There was an article. I forget where I saw it. A discussion about um, uh, some equipment. It, it might have been weaponry. I'm not sure. From India into Russia, and the question was, um, uh, uh, or, or no, maybe it was from Russia to India. And the question was, how do you pay for it? India wanted to pay in dollars, but Russia can't use dollars at this point. I mean, what are they going to do with dollars? No one's going to take dollars from Russia. It's, it's just not going to happen. Ultimately, someone's going to come up with a solution for that. When that happens, the there's there, the the sanctions have less force, have less have, have less power, and this is what you know. These anti-fragile systems, they're um. Uh, uh, let me not get ahead of that. Let me. Let but me, I mean, let getting me... getting to your point with the anti-fragile systems, and if you could, you know, maybe give a quick definition for our audience so they understand exactly what it is. But um, I mean, isn't that just the essence of the economy? You're just doing what we intended it to do. Well, um, uh, let, let, let's talk about anti-fragile systems. Okay. It's, 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 um, uh, uh, I, I, I just read, it, it, it's, it comes from Nisim Taleb, who is the author of The Black Swan, just a, a, a brilliant guy, brilliant um, investor, and, and, and writes just so beautifully. It's just, it's a pleasure to, to enjoy his, his writings. Anti-fragile systems are those that um, uh, they, can absorb stress, um, take the hit, and they come back stronger. So classic example, the human body, we wake up in the morning, we get our workout in, you know, we've put stress on our body, we let it recover, it comes back stronger. Same thing with vaccines, right? You, you, you know, you, you you take a vaccine and you're injecting the bad stuff in you a little bit, and then you come back stronger. My favorite stories in the in the olden times about the 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 two guys who ate each other, and one of them drinks a little poison every day and gets you know immune to the poison, and then has the contest of I bet you can't drink as much poison as I do. Whatever that is, you know, here this goes in your little drink, and you die. And, you, you, you know the story. Compare that to, say, a washing machine or a dishwasher. Um, uh, that it, It's a machine. Your car is a machine. It doesn't repair itself. It just breaks. Under pressure, ultimately, it will break. Also, remember that in an anti, um, just because you might have an anti-fragile system doesn't mean that you can't have the you know, the sort of you know, fatal heart attack and you're dead, if there's too much stress and you can't recover, you're gone. Let's apply that analogy. So certainly when the United States um, sanctions a small country and just wants to crush it, I have no doubt that the people in the room who make the decisions can just do that, can just say, okay, we're going to do this, this, this. Yeah. And to your needs. I don't see how you do that with the, what was the seventh largest economy. And it didn't seem to happen in Venezuela, which was a significant economy that was sort of driven down. And, and But so you think about these monetary systems, you think about 
how um, what's going to happen with 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 Russia and 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 China and how China can help this and be a doctor. They're cut off from SWIFT, can't use currency. Everybody and and their family is sanctioned, right? All the low hanging fruit has been taken on a sanctions perspective. What makes us think that Russia won't apply anti fragile techniques and take the pressure and the abuse and come back stronger with new systems, kind of like an artery, you know, and 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 I'm no doctor, that's for sure. But you know, it, when you have artery clog and and the, and another artery can actually grow to relieve it, a very anti fragile example of a very anti fragile system. What makes us think that this new system of monetary movement isn't going from China isn't going to overtake everything and and be a lifeline for Russia and that will make us more you know more and, and then take that to its logical conclusion everybody is starting to talk about you know the, how the, the the dollar is the reserve currency for the world of course no one is predicting a collapse of the dollar as the world's reserve currency but if you take it to its logical extent if we're going to use sanctions as a primary weapon and certainly a major subset of that is the weaponization of the dollar. That's kind of what it's all about. That may be the primer. Um, an anti-fragile system is really going to hurt that. To Angela's point, it's it, the more you use it, the less effective it's going to be. And we got to, someone needs to think about that. So I I want to I want to push this forward and um you know with all these geopolitical challenges that we're discussing and 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 that we're seeing does this negatively then impact economic change or can it create growth what's your perspective on that Steve what a, a, another fantastic question and uh the, the sad answer is who knows but at the and 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 the easy answer is of the range of outcomes, there could be great growth, or there can't be. I, to, but to, uh, I, 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 I guess here's the way I, I, I see it. We're in a period where we're where we've got choices to make, and we swim in unknown waters, and depending on those choices, um, uh. We will see global economic growth at a certain level or significantly lower. Um, and remember, we're we're always surprised. There's you know predicting these things is 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 a fool's game. There's and the next time we talk, it's going to be about something. The only thing I'm going to say the next time we talk is, guys, I told you we couldn't conceive of it when we talked on on what's today May fifth on Cinco de Mayo. We couldn't conceive of it, and then. And and then there it is. But if I had to guess, if you said to me, Steve, I got $20. I'm going to bet you $20. You tell me what you think is going to happen in the world economy. I would say this. Um, the pandemic um, uh, created conditions where we have high inflation, low growth. And that's going to continue, but not in some crazy way where the world's going to be upside down. I think it's more likely that we have 
lower growth, but it's not so bad. But um, I don't think that these geopolitical tensions change. I think it's quite likely that they live on for a decade, two decades. And, and, and the reason is you, you just sense this hubris um, uh, from the Western world and this deep resentment from Russia and China. And, you know, resentment is, is a horrible thing. You just, you, you, it's hard to throw resentment away. It's hard to just walk away from that and, and forgive and forget and say, okay, let's carry on. That's going to put me downward pressure economically, fewer um, um, uh, tax revenues, higher sovereign debt, a more intensive global flight for tax revenues. By the way, that's going to put the EU um, within itself and the United States at odds because we're all going to be fighting for these scarce global dollars. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not like we're still going to have, you know, good baseball season and, and, and things like that. That's what I think. I don't want to go too far backwards, but I, I wanted to ask this earlier and just didn't find a good time to ask it. So I, I kind of want to just throw it out here right now from hearing what you have to say about sanctioning and, and learning more about some of this stuff. For some reason, I can't get past, but it feels slightly performative almost um, to like with some sanctioning, like almost um, to create this, uh, whether it's to like the people of the country, like if, if, if the United States is, is sanctioning Russia or China, like part of it almost feels like it is to give a sense to the citizens of that country that we're doing something about a concern, but, but it doesn't always feel like there's any return on investment on, on some of that action. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on that at all? I, another great point. Um, I, I'm not, I, as we, you know, we, we, my international criminal law class, we just had a semester of that at Rutgers. And one of the topics was um, how successful are, are the sanctions in the past and what can we expect going forward? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think we see much data and, and much discussion about the success of sanctions in the past. Um, and look, we, 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 you know, Cuba um, uh, has not turned into the world's greatest democracy, and we've been sanctioning Cuba forever. You can still fly to Panama and get a Cuban cigar. Uh, Maduro's still in power. Now we're being you know, more, more friendly with him. And you see uh, uh, similar things in Syria, Iran, um, I don't think we're being very honest with ourselves on the effectiveness of sanctions, and that means it's hard to improve them. They hold so much promise for certain things. If you if you put sort of the sovereigns aside and you say, uh, aren't these sanctions great for nailing the human traffickers of the world, the drug traffickers? The answer is absolutely. I mean, once you're sanctioned, you're unbankable. And if you're a bad guy, sanctions can be extremely effective. But how effective are they against the world's, what was the seventh largest economy in the world? 
I think that that's kind of, uh, it remains to be seen. And I'm not sure we're honest with ourselves on what the result is. Steve, thinking about kind of where we've been and, and just moving more so to the consequences side of, of maybe what we're starting to see happen you know, globally. For some reason, I keep coming back to this idea of, you know, when you travel, whether it's to Russia, you know, Venezuela, all these areas around the world, which you've done a significant amount, you know, you sit in restaurants and bars and you develop human connections, right? You know, I, you can walk into a bar or a restaurant and just have an hour long conversation with somebody from that country. And it's like none of this other stuff is happening, right? So, you know, it's not, and what I'm trying to ask is, you know, it's not like, hey, we go to Russia, everybody in Russia is going to hate Americans. It's not the case, right? So why is there such seemingly this big disconnect between all of these really strategic and impactful events that are happening globally? And I think a lot of folks are connected, but at the end of the day, it, I guess they fail to see maybe the connection to their day-to-day -day lives. And they still look at everybody in the world just as a human being. But all this other stuff is just happening. Well, um, boy, what, what a great and intriguing question. And I'm not sure I've thought about that deep enough. Uh, we seem awfully insular in, in the United States. Um, you don't hear, uh, uh, I, I, I think it's a, a select group who really focuses on what's happening in Eastern Europe right now. Um, uh, certainly not like what's, what, what the people in Western Europe um, uh, think about, which is natural, right? I mean, it's, it's, it would, if, if there was war in Arizona, we would know about it in Pittsburgh, right? We would be flipping right. out. Right. Uh, same, same kind of, kind of thing, but you are also right. I, I, I'm, I'm so lucky that I, I I get to talk to people all over the world, and um, uh, certainly in Western Europe, um, not so much in Eastern Europe. That's um, I just we've got a different issue there. Uh, uh, but in Poland, um, uh, Latvia, uh, uh, certainly Greece. Um, uh, uh, they're just people, right? They're people all over the world, and right. they're, they're, although we have different cultures, that's I, I, when we say our values are different. Um, I'm not sure that they're so wild. There's a lot of similarities too. Yeah, we yes. have. I mean, unique cultures and, and traditions and ways of living our lives. But at the end of the day, as you said, those core values are shared by the human experience globally. Absolutely, absolutely. I could tell you another thing too. That it, it does seem that um, with each of these sanctions programs, or whatever um, uh, any you know power in the world does when they want to flex their muscle, there always seems to be some collateral damage, and that collateral damage moves somewhere, does something, uh, uh, whatever it might be. I and mean, they, if they're an anti-fragile system, they're trying to come back stronger. It's those um, those people who are the collateral damage with 
the Venezuelan sanctions, with the sanctions in Russia, those people are often the strongest generation of, 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 of citizenry for the United States, as you can imagine. So it's hard to pick who's the bad guy and who's not sometimes. Uh, right now, a big problem that the United States is having um, I, I don't know if they sit in 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 a in a in a room in in D.C. and think about how effective they're being. I I, I hope they do, but um, uh, they're certainly thinking deeply about what the next step is. And uh, it's been widely said that all of the low hanging fruit has been grabbed. Sort of the people you would expect to be sanctioned have been sanctioned. The uh, uh, the actions economically that you would think would work have been taken. And now it's going to focus on um, how we prevent sanctions evasion, which is much, much harder uh, because you've got to declare a lot more as illegal, basically. And that's hard. It's not hard um, uh, for the world to say, Putin's second in command is a bad person. We're sanctioning that guy. Don't do any business with him. Don't bank him. Don't do anything. It's quite another thing to say so-and-so businessman was a friend of Putin's and his whole family is now sanctioned. That's and 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 as that hubris grows, uh, uh it, it it becomes harder to enforce and and it seems like it becomes less effective. The world is less sympathetic. We already see Macron going over to China saying, well, you know, we don't want to be the puppet of of the United States. And then everybody gets mad at him. And then he has his own problems when he tries to raise the retirement age. Yeah, and, yeah that's that blew up this past few weeks as well. So it, 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 I mean, it's interesting from a historical perspective, because if you think historically, why do new nations emerge? Because they want to move away from the oppression of you know, whoever was governing them before. And so if you fast forward that over time, you know, it's almost, you know, I go back to systems theory where you're always seeking stability, right? You want that internal stability and you get these periods of disruption and because of the multipolar world that we're living in where, where these nation states are developing the influence, right? And they're building their teams I want to know, again, we don't have our crystal ball, but like, how does it shake out, right? How do we return to stability, right? Because at the end of the day, what emerges in terms of countries, right, tends to be, again, we're, we're moving away because we don't want to be sanctioned. We don't want to be governed. We, we want to live freely or we want to develop this type of society. And when we're in a period where everybody's vying for that influence because they want to not necessarily, as we said earlier, impose their way of life or their way of governing, but maybe infuse a little bit of their values, right? So that you could still be part of our team. And it's interesting to see how this all shakes out because when we think about consequences, I mean, isn't that the isn't that the way things evolve historically? Right? We 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 seek stability and we seek freedom to live the way we want to live, so to speak. And we don't always think about it in reverse, right? We don't always think about what we're doing, whether that facilitates the things right. we want it to. And it almost seems like it's the opposite because why do we impose sanctions? 
because we don't like what they're doing, right? Right. Because they don't fall necessarily within our guidelines or our way of life, or we believe they're impeding whatever the way of life should be in that region or that that culture or within that society, perhaps, right? Makes now, sense. don't get me wrong. There's probably times where it's that that interaction or that interjection is needed, right? Because bad things are happening. But, you know, who defines what bad things are, perhaps, I should say. You know, it's it's so true. That, um, I, I don't know if you saw this in the news a couple of months ago, but the International Criminal Court, the ICC in, in, in The Hague, issued a an arrest warrant to Putin for crimes against humanity. And uh, uh, obviously a serious matter and you know, arrest warrants aren't issued um, frequently by, by the ICC and there's a, a, a process to go through. Now, um, uh, it's not likely that Russia's going to um, handcuff Putin and send him to the Netherlands, right? And uh, uh, when asked sort of, you know, what do you expect to happen here, the ICC prosecutor, who is just a, a brilliant guy, um, uh, seemed to indicate, hey, look, um, it's a, number one, it's a message. Uh, it's a message that horrible things are going on. And number two, you know, if if Putin travels to a country that has signed on to be a member of the ICC, that country under a rule, the Rome Statute it's called, it's called needs to arrest him, needs to get him and send him to us. That's the rules, basically. Not going to happen, but those are the kind of things that are highly symbolic. Uh, is it, it? Does that create more resentment or does, I don't know. I I I I simply don't know. I, I don't, gentlemen. What do you guys think? Where? How does this war in the Ukraine end? Angela, I'm going to let you take a stab at that one. I I have some ideas, right? But go for it, Angela. God, I mean, if I if I had a good idea here, I'd 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 be a maybe a wealthy wealthy man, I guess. I, I I mean I honestly I don't know because um it's crazy to think about how long it's been going on um it, it, like I, I don't know if it's just because of time has been so weird since the pandemic and everything like that and that it happened kind of still while things were you know at a high level with that but I don't know it, I really don't know how it ends and 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 it it kind of brings me back to like what you were saying Steve about like the um, what is it? The ICC, the international, uh, what is that again? Criminal court. So Putin really has been issued this like warrant. Is, is that a real thing? It's a, absolutely. Okay. So like, here's what I don't understand. And this is why I don't know how to answer the question about like this war ending is it sounds like we're saying this man is doing bad things, crimes against humanity. Right. And when I look back into history, when we think of big name people who were creating crimes against humanity, we went and we got them, you know, or we tried to, or there were wars and I'm not advocating for any of that, but it seems like, um, it seems like there is no way to like actually stop him un unless, uh, 
it seems like there's no way to really stop him or get him unless we want to escalate things um, to to a more violent level. Um, and and again, I'm not saying I advocate for that, but it's almost like when like it seems like the United States is trying to act with ethics and morals in this with some humanity. But how you can't play that game when when the opposition doesn't possess those or care about that. And um, so, yeah, I, I really have no clue. Um, to me, it seems almost um, exhausting um, to figure out a solution. Here, here's my thoughts. I, and again, I'm not deep into this world as much as I used to be in terms of thinking about geopolitical war, government, all that fun stuff. Um, I feel like we used to go to war historically around resources land, uh, minerals, borders, whatever they may be. I feel like as of late, this war kicked off due to ideology with the idea of restoring the great Russian empire. And I think the crimes against humanity uh, that was issued I mean, that that's just part of governance and law, right? Um, and I don't want to say it was collateral damage, but I think in the, in maybe Putin's mind, right, we're going to sustain this effort until our territory, as it was many, many years ago, is reestablished. But do you even think, though, Patrick, that if that territory was reestablished, that Putin would hang the hat up and be like, okay, we're cool. We're back to where we were. I mean, what wouldn't that yeah. just him to keep expanding it outward and, and try to obtain some sort of global dominance? Yeah. So I'm not a geopolitical subject matter expert, right? And there's people much smarter than me out there, but I, I tend to think yes, only because I would, I would hope that he's a smart enough individual to understand, okay, if my objective is restoring Russia, not saying it's right or wrong, I get it, okay, territorially. But stepping into Eastern Europe and marching westward, as was his example in you know, World War One and World War II and, and many iterations before, I think even he would be smart enough not to progress forward beyond that original objective of restoring that Russian empire. That's consider, what the, consider this, guys. Um, whether we say sanctions are effective or not to achieve the objective, uh, I don't think anybody disagrees that sanctions are effective to shrink an economy and make a lot of people leave. This mm -hmm. population and brain drain going on right now in Russia, all of Eastern Europe, Ukraine, has got to be suffering the same thing as well, is going to be a crippling factor for what may be generations to come. That doesn't mean that this conflict's going to stop, though. It just means uh, uh, who, whoever is, is running that country, whatever it might look like, is going to look around and say, I need a lot more people. How does how do I get a lot more people? 
Let's go over there, invite those people in, make them part of the, that's certainly of the range of outcomes, quite a possibility. Now, it's, it's, it's also the case that China and um, well, to a large extent India have enormous populations that may help that as well. Uh, and 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 we as uh, the United States can only screw it up if we have a bad immigration policy and don't understand our population. We're we're not making babies. We're we're a country that likes to practice but doesn't like to make babies. By and large, it seems like that. And uh, yeah, we we're going to need more population. This I think is going to be. An, I I don't see this war stopping anytime soon. Uh, and I don't see sanctions when they get, uh, all I see is that uh, the longer the sanctions go on, the more likely it is these anti-fragile systems become stronger and stronger, which means uh, that it's less likely that you have a solution and the multipolar world becomes even more multipolar. And the real beneficiaries of that will be countries like India. So this kind of leads me to a question here. Is there ever a point now, have we crossed over the threshold where we can ever really trust Russia um, and, and working with them or acquiring um, some of their rich commodities? Like in kind of almost to like what Patrick is saying um, in some of his, you know, maybe forecasting or uh, thoughts on it. Like if, if Putin really does go and reestablish these borders that he believes, you know, are, are Russian borders and hangs up his hat and goes, okay, world, I did what I needed to do. I got Russia to where it needed to be. Let's be friends again. Can we be friends again? Like, I mean, how does that look? I, I can't imagine how. And I think that line was passed two years ago when he, it might've been passed before then, but I, I mean, how, how can you, how, how can you say, sure, let's rely on, 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 on Russian um, oil to heat us during the winter when um, history has shown that it can be cut off like that. It's... What if it's for the betterment of the United States? Like, is it better to remain spiteful in that regard? Or, I, I mean, because in my opinion, this world keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but people want to keep getting more and more of it. So how how do we even sustain globally then if there are these tensions that never, ever go away? Angelo, it's a fantastic question, and this is the curse of, of of losses hurting more than gains feel good. When you have these losses, you become uh, a bigger risk taker, and, and when you're in a gain position, you want to take less. I agree with you. It's going to be it's going to be pretty wild time over the next decade, guys. Yeah, so here's an interesting thought for you. Um, again, I, that cliche phrase, "devil's advocate," right? So. Think of our space exploration. How do our U.S. astronauts get the get to space on Russian spaceships? Right, Russian equipment. Right. Uh, you you see interviews over the last few years, and specifically talking about what's happening in Ukraine, and you have Russian astronauts on board with American astronauts and other astronauts from around the world, working cohesively as a team together. Right. So I, I kind of going back to our earlier conversation with you know that global travel, you know, there's there's a separation, you know, between all the geopolitical, economic sanctions and everything that's happening globally, right? To influence, build collaboration, 
impact whatever's happening. And I think, I don't want to use the word the general population, right? But day-to-day -day life still happens almost while these hugely significant historical events are taking place. You know, mm -hmm. so you're right. I, I don't think they can trust that individual, i.e. Putin. But in terms of humanity, you know, the glimmer of hope, I think, is look at our space race or not a space race, but look at our, our advancements in, in exploring space, you know, collaboratively work, we're working together, you know, at, you know, maybe in respective industries, there's still strong relationships happening. We just have to figure out how to make these things work with everything that's happening at the political, international, economic level somehow. Yeah, it's a tough, tough call. Let me ask you gentlemen a question. Do you think, and I recognize it's not fair for me to ask questions, but we've been over oh, there. I'm allowed to ask questions. <laughs> You've earned the right, Steve. Fair enough. All right. So what um what do you think about a world where the dollar is not the reserve currency? I think it's feasible and will likely happen. Mm-hmm. Would it be replaced by another country's uh, uh, or would it be more of a like a new global kind of currency that isn't affiliated to any particular country or is, does that already exist? I, 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 I doubt it would be the latter. Um, I, I think it, it, it would be it would more likely take the form of some sovereign currency. The one would be Chinese. China's currency would be the one that sort of. You consider in first place uh, uh, how digital assets and crypto folds into this is is also quite a mystery. It's not clear. And if you ask most people um, on, 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 on Wall Street or um, uh, who think about international finance or who you know sit on the treasury desk at major banks and um, what have you, They'll say, ah, you're, you're, you're dreaming. It's just not going to happen uh, that the dollar will lose its its position as the world's reserve currency. I think here, here's the interesting point that I always go back to and where I think my response is rooted within. The United States is a 245-year-old business plan, Right. Right. That's how long we've lived. Russia, Europe, Asia, a little bit longer. Right. So we would almost kind of be neglectful in saying, yes, the U.S. dollar is going to be in perpetuity the backer. Right. Civilizations rise and fall. Right. I don't know when that would change. Right. I, I'm not smart enough to say when that would happen. But being pragmatic. You know, like you said, civilizations evolve, come into power, lose power. Like you said, it's it's this dynamic forces that are happening, you know, so 100 years from now or maybe sooner. Like it's not unrealistic to have those conversations because I think you're right, Steve. Maybe it, it can't. I don't think anything is designed to to be in place for perpetuity. Well said. Well, and I also think about, you know, Patrick, you mentioned like uh, 245 some years, you know, the United States has been um, around. Right. But I feel like in that span of time um, and, and obviously this is 
very much anecdotal. I have nothing to really say this off of, but it feels like the United States, since its conception and everything, has always been on a rise, has always had the vision of being on top, of being uh, the leaders of the global world, or at least the influencers of the global world. And it's probably pretty easy to come off at least the way that the, the mouthpiece tends to make it sound like, like we're the good guys, right? Like it's easy to come off and try to do the right thing or be the good guy when you're on top, when the U S dollar is the reserve currency of the world. But I, I, I wonder, and maybe it's more rhetorical, but I wonder what the United States would be like if we were not, you know, a top dog, a, a top player, like, would we be playing as nice? Would we be playing the kind of games that Putin is doing? It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough perspective to, to take on, but if we were not, you know, sitting at the top of things and trying to claw for positioning in this um, shrinking world, like, would we be as noble um, maybe as, as, as we have been? I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a great question. We will never, we, we're going to find out, right? This hasn't happened in our lifetime. In our lifetime, by and large, it's been a unipolar world. Yeah, and I think that's the most interesting element as I look at younger generations now, because historically, within that period of time, say 250 years, rounded up, right? We've been very stable economically, politically, right? Everything about our culture, and even I would say somewhat, even, even a little bit globally in terms of our relationships, they've always been relatively stable. And now we're in this period of time where things are beginning to be a little bit more disruptive, right? And in unstable, right? So it's it's interesting to see how the next 50, 100 years or whatever it may be, how the how that starts to change a little bit, perhaps. Absolutely. No question about it. Yeah. And let's let's hope we don't have um uh let's hope we curb our our, our hubris. That's the Yep. That's the one thing that concerns me as we think about how the world's going to change going forward. Yeah. I mean, going back to to how wars and conflict typically start out, it's it's again resources or as you said, hubris, right? Or both. Or both in some cases, right? That's right. That's right. Well, I thought this was a excellent conversation today, Steve. I appreciate yeah. your insight as always. You guys are such a pleasure. You get me going. It's just fantastic. You do a great job. And I love it. I love it. And I think it helps educate our audience. Uh, I think it helps educate us, right? Again, like your intellect and connection, uh, you have a great way of taking these really complex issues and kind of putting them into terms that we can understand. Uh, It's kind. Thank you. So. So we look forward to definitely getting you back on soon. But Steve, final thoughts before we we wrap up today uh, uh i really do believe that it's so fascinating to challenge whether this promise of sanctions is really fulfilling its promise or whether we're just swimming upstream uh sadly we're going to only learn that at a point where there's kind of no return i don't think you can learn that while you're still on the journey, um, it's going to be fascinating. We live in interesting times, is the old Chinese proverb. That's true. Well, I'll jump in and, and give a final thought. And um, Steve, I just want to thank you. I Honestly, I think you're a brilliant, brilliant human being. Like it is, 
insane to talk to you. I feel very honored to have this opportunity. And I know Take the Hill, um, you know, our, our, our audiences um, are all over the place, but a, a core of it really is at Point Park University. You know, we cater a lot to that demographic. And 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 I just think that Point Park University and the students and, and the colleagues that you have there are super lucky to to be able to interact with you and, and pick your brain. And um, I'm just very grateful, Steve. I appreciate you being back. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Ah, you're so kind, Angelo. And I, I, I'm, I'm grateful as well. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Steve has just left the studio. Uh, Angelo, again, like you said, it's always amazing at his ability to to really take so much of what's happening in globally right now and really put it in terms that I think we can all understand. You know. Yeah. And I mean, I got to ask you a question, Patrick, do I look smarter? Because I feel a lot smarter <laughs> after this conversation with Steve. I like, I don't know, like it's just, the, it's the hair really, is it the hair? it's all perception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No, you're, you're right. <laughs> Maybe I, a little I feel a lot wiser and more well-informed and the thing that I really like about um, talking to Steve, and there's a myriad of things that I like, but it gives me just a little, a, not even a little, a lot of energy and inspiration to dive deeper into these topics uh, on my own and take some of the uh, conversations and intellect that he provides and using that as a springboard for my own exploration in these topics. And I hope that our audience will do the exact same, similar to like when you watch the news almost, like if news is done well, in my opinion, it should be unbiased and stating the facts and giving you a platform and foundation to then go off and and find more information and details on your own. And I just, that's the vibe I get from Steve. And, and, and certainly I'm looking forward to um, the continued education uh, that in, in these spaces and topics that we discussed with him. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing, you know, just because we're there out here hosting this show. I mean, every episode we learn so much from whomever we're talking to. And I think that's part of the, the essence of what we, we really do here is, you know, we, we bring you into these worlds and it opens up a whole new lens uh, that enables us to now have the courage to go forward and maybe dig a little bit on our own to see what else we can learn, right? Yeah. And you know, regardless of where you're at in terms of your job, your role, and your experience, uh, there's always so much to learn, and and that's that's what's exciting about these these shows, I think. So, awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, again, if you haven't had the opportunity to do so, you would definitely go back and check out some of those earlier episodes with Steve. And again, like you said, we'll we'll certainly have him on soon. Stay tuned this summer. We'll definitely be posting some of our adventures. And we look forward to seeing you on another episode of Take the Hill. Thank you, everybody. See you soon. Later.